The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum, as always, and we are getting back to you after taking a look at the tape. The New York Giants ended their long losing streak, finally earning a victory over the Miami Dolphins, 36-20. to And like we do every single Tuesday, we watch the film, we analyze it, we let you know what worked, what did not work. And we actually have some good positives to discuss because they went out there, they played a team that was significantly, not significantly, but clearly worse than them, and they played well against them. It was a good game for for a lot of young guys to step in and step up and go and perform and do some good things, which we're going to be highlighting in today's show. So as we always do, we're going to be giving you an offensive approach and a defensive approach, breaking it down by positives and negatives. Luckily, this time we actually have some good positives to cover. And the first one for offense is that the play calling was not overly committed to throwing the ball. We touched on this a little bit during the quick take show, but the the, the big key here is that the Giants, whenever I feel or we both feel they're struggling offensively and they can't move the ball, it's because they come out and they're throwing it on first, second, and third down, or at least two downs uh, during a series. And that usually results in third and longs and them not getting first downs. But this game, they actually for once had more rushing attempts than passing attempts. 33 rushing attempts compared to 29, which led to 138 team rushing yards. So overall, good day, more consistent play calling. Yeah, and I I would definitely say better play calling. I think the fact that they had more rushing attempts than passing attempts is more a function of them actually getting a lead and then having the... Dolphins offense more or less collapse in the third quarter so for once the Giants weren't playing catch up and they were really able to try to shorten the game and start running out the clock before really the fourth quarter even got started so I think that's where that comes from but they had success in both phases of the offense they had success throwing the ball they had success running the ball that success was was very apparent and I think Going a little bit deeper, if you watch the play calling on defense, or sorry, on the on on rushing plays, as you alluded to, in saying that the the play calling was better, I, I think that they were more committed to getting Saquon in space. They were calling a little bit more outside zone. They were calling some rushes that were towards the outside, 
behind the the outside guard uh, guard's shoulder in the tackle, and that was allowing him to bounce bounce it out. Now Saquon is good enough to run up the middle and pick up yards that way. We saw that on some plays, but Saquon is at his best when he runs towards the outside of the uh, the line of scrimmage, and then he is able to bounce it out if there's room for him to do so. He's athletic enough to do it. He's got the burst to do it. He's got the the the, the foot speed to do that. And they were a little bit more willing to do that instead of just running him up the middle. And if there wasn't anything there, he would only fall forward for a two-yard gain. That's not what Saquon's good at. He might be a bigger back. He might be 230 pounds. But that's not what he is best at. Instead, he was able to pick up those big burst plays. And that I would attribute to picking up a lot of their offensive yards. I would have to wonder if that isn't actually related to the injury to Kevin Zeitler. You kind of always want to run behind your best offensive lineman because that's where your holes are going to be. So at least conceptually, it would make sense to run up the middle when you've got your two best linemen as your guards with Will Hernandez and Kevin Zeitler. But with Zeitler out, the talent level is kind of, we'll say more even across the board for the Giants. You know, with John Jalapio, Nick Gates, and Mike Remmers on the right side. I think that kind of freed them up from feeling as though they had to run behind their guards and really let Saquon run to the outside and find those cutback lanes and do what he does best and make that last defender miss and pick up chunk yardage. Even though the Giants got the win, I still firmly stand by the the possibility and the likelihood of them moving on from Pat Shermer and bringing in a new coach so I think whoever they do bring in, they need to make sure that they do a good job of looking back at the tape and seeing what was working for this Giants team and knowing that Saquon works so much better in trying to work the ball towards the outside. Those outside zone rushing concepts really, really work for Saquon and he's able to pick up a lot of his yards that way. The second positive that we have from this game, and this one I would say goes along with the whole theme from the day, of Eli Manning earning his victory. But the second positive we have is letting Eli be Eli. He had a good day, not a great day considering he threw three interceptions, but he was able to move the ball downfield. After he threw his third interception, he looked a little bit more comfortable. He wasn't making as egregious of mistakes. He didn't have a a horrible outing towards the end of it. No, I always feel that Eli has been at his best, just over the course of his entire long storied career, when he's able to look downfield and attack the defense in the intermediate area of the field. You know, over the last five years or so, basically since the Giants hired Ben McAdoo, they have looked to- a lot more towards getting quick, high percentage passes off, uh, passes from like zero to five yards, zero to six yards. But that has never really been Eli's game. He's always been a great teammate, a good player, and, you know, done what coach says. He's really always at his most effective looking further down the field, being that little more of a gunslinger, even though he d- definitely does not fit the, uh, I'd say, Brett Favre mold in terms of his attitude on the field. But just trusting his arm, giving his receivers opportunities to make plays. And this game his average pass was 10 yards down the field. That's basically double what it was last year. His average completion was nine yards, which again, that's significantly higher than it was last year. 
but also the Giants did a great job of scheming him open throws. Per next-gen stats, he was only throwing into coverage on 10% of his throws. So I that's basically only two or three passes went into coverage. And part of that goes back to how they used Saquon and getting him into space. We only saw one or two times where they threw to him behind the line of scrimmage. The rest of the time, he was past the line of scrimmage. There was nobody close to him. So he was able to get those easy passes, and then turn up field. They did that again with uh, schemed rub routes and we won't say pick plays, but pick plays to get Sterling Shepard, Cody Latimer, uh, Golden Tate the ball in space. And I think that really did help Eli and let him be that kind of naturally aggressive quarterback that he always has been when he's been at his best. He didn't have... Or he had a, a far from perfect day yesterday, but still he made up for it with his performance down the stretch in this game to, to close it out. He was 20 for 28 for 283 yards, two touchdowns, and then the three picks. But I think going in line with what you're saying in allowing him to do things that work for him, but I, I think another thing too is that he's at this latter end of his career well into his late 30s he doesn't need to be throwing the ball over 30 times a game like we just talked about. So it was, it was working to his strengths and allowing the young, talented running back to take over and play well. That was what we saw worked really, really well last year for the Giants. And now it, it worked again very well against the Miami Dolphins. On to the negatives on offense. And you could probably assume the three interceptions from Eli Manning were not very good, but we want to talk about the third interception here, and it was a bad decision and a bad throw by Eli Manning, but the one thing that I I acknowledged on tape, and I'm sure you could agree with me, Chris, I I completely forgot the circumstance of that pick because it was a third and one play, and they called a a passing play I would say well past 10 yards down the field, so I just didn't understand the the intention there. If you're going to run play action or run a, a passing play, at least do it a little bit in front of the sticks. I just I, I thought that was a, a huge step back considering they did so good in the play calling. They end up going right back to doing something that, that was very questionable when you have a good running back, give him the ball, let him pick up the first down. If he doesn't get it, he doesn't get it, but at least lean on the talented running back that you have. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the one time or the few times the Dolphins were able to reliably stop Saquon was when he was, when the Giants were running and it was kind of obvious that they were running. So I understand wanting to throw in that situation, avoid basically the obvious, avoid the obvious play. Personally, before the play, I thought they were going to do the fullback dive, which they seem to love to do on occasion. Really short, they had Elijah Penny on the field. I understand wanting to be aggressive and you know, maybe take advantage of the defense's expectations. I will give a little bit of credit to the Dolphins for getting good penetration on that play. You know, they That might have worked if Eli had been able to set his feet, but he had pressure in his face one of the few times he really did. And yeah, I personally would have gone for a quicker hitting play. You only need two yards to convert. So maybe run the a play action with a quick slant or have Saquon Barkley sneak through and run the angle route or something like that. I, I, I'm with you. I don't understand a 10-yard pass in that circumstance. Yeah, it was way too deep down the field. And 
understandably, maybe you're assuming that the Dolphins would be so far pressed up trying to stop anything near the line of scrimmage and that first down marker from moving past that. But still, though, the, even if the even if they did that, though, that would also imply that the Giants probably wouldn't have enough time to throw a pass that deep. It just it it was very questionable. I, I as much as you got to put some onus on Eli for making a poor decision with the football, I do put a, a good amount of blame on the decision to throw it that far downfield on that specific play. Second negative that we have is not scoring off turnovers, which we have talked about every single game this year. It seems that they have had mistakes, but they won this game. There was only one turnover that they forced, which was Alec Ogletree with the huge hit on Ryan Fitzpatrick, knocking the ball out, but they end up throwing a pick on that drive. No points. So just from an overall mentality and culture environment standpoint, you have to be able to capitalize on turnovers, especially against a bad football team. You need to get some type of points on the board, whether it's a field goal at the very minimum, get some type of points on the board. But instead, they th- they throw a pick, and it goes right back to the Dolphins, and that ends that drive for them. So I just they need to get some more points on the board. It seems like it's the same thing that we keep talking about every single week. Yeah, yeah. I thought the difference in this game was that the Giants did take advantage of their opportunities to score. But like you said, except for when they got turnovers, and that has been a problem all year long. They do get turnovers, not a ton of them, not a lot. They're nowhere near like uh, Minnesota or New England in generating turnovers. Uh, This is just as an aside, but it kind of blew my mind when I saw it the other day. Patriots cornerback Stefan Gilmore has more touchdowns scored himself than he has given up this season. That's kind of ridiculous. The Giants are not on that level. But when they do get turnovers, you need to capitalize on them. That's a big reason why in our quick takes show we talked about how it's so tough to win when you are underwater in the turnover margin because good teams generate points when they get turnovers. It might sound a little bit nitpicky that we're discussing something like this in a victory. They did lose the turnover margin, but still, I think it's worth bringing up. But also, if you look at it this way, you know, the offense played well. So finding something as very specific as the two negatives that we have is just because there wasn't any egregiously bad things besides the three interceptions, which we already spoke about in the quick take show. So it's just mostly because we didn't didn't have as much to go off of because the Giants offense actually looked pretty competent and pretty good in this game. It's not really us trying to be overly complaining and nitpicky. Now we're going to discuss the defense, the positives, and the negatives. But before we do that, we're going to take a very short commercial break. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, 
Atlassian software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. On to the positives for the defense and the theme all year has been discussing the young defensive backs that they spent so many draft picks on. Multiple guys were out there in this game. Sam Beal, Corey Ballantyne, Julian Love, DeAndre Baker. And for once, we're going to put them all in a positive by saying that they all went out there and made plays. Now, they didn't have a perfect day. They were not mistake-free. As any young player is, they're not going to be completely mistake-free. But they went out there and they made some good plays, which we saw on film. If you go back and watch the game, which I fully encourage you to at least go watch the highlight packages they put on YouTube, and you do, you will notice plays by that young secondary. And if defensive backs have a good game, you either don't notice them at all or you notice them making some pretty good plays. So the first notable one is forcing incompletions. They were able to knock the ball out of hands of receivers, and also that happened where DeAndre Baker was able to knock the the ball out of the hands of Devontae Parker on a potential scoring play. And then the other big play that, that came to note was Sam Beal coming down to make a tackle for a safety after the defensive line created so much penetration that he was able to swoop in and make a good play. Yeah, the, the one you didn't talk about, I think, was to me, just in a play-in, play-out capacity who just impressed me, maybe didn't have the big plays, but just the consistency of play, and that was uh, Julian Love. Yeah, He is a rookie cornerback who transitioned to safety. That is not an easy transition to make. You have to really change the way you see the field, change the way you think about the game. And I think he has, it took a while, but I think he has done it very well and what has really impressed me is how he is coming downhill and making tackles in the run game you know he was getting tackles for a loss he was getting stops at or close to the line of scrimmage and it wasn't one or two plays he was doing it pretty consistently and we'll just say cornerbacks are generally not known for their tackling prowess maybe the best one to ever do it, Deion Sanders, was also more or less known for his, um, what's the most respectful way to put it for primetime, his business decisions when it comes to tackling. So for me, it was really good to see Julian Love get in there and get his hands dirty in run defense, basically in his, his first few games as a converted safety. He did miss one tackle against Albert Wilson, 
But still, I, I every game that we watch him, I, I love watching him play with intensity, with aggression, and overall just a commitment to being in the right position, being smart about it. He's a very, very smart player, and I think that was one of the biggest positives about him coming out of Notre Dame. And it, it makes it all the more shocking that he fell so far because he has the athletic traits, he has the intelligence. A guy like that in the secondary is going to only improve the play of everyone around him because if he knows where he needs to be and he knows everything else that's supposed to be going on, he can call on the guys around him and make sure they're in the right position. So I continue to love watching Julian Love play because he just does everything right. I think this offseason is going to be very, very important for him and the rest of these young corners because they're slowly improving. We're finally seeing some actual improvement. There's the occasional step back, but we're seeing some gradual improvement there's two offenses that they're going to be facing in these final two weeks that I would argue are towards the bottom half of the league because of a lack of playmakers at the receiver position. So we'll have to see how they do against those below average guys. If they come out and they play well again, they could have another dominant performance and take another step forward, which I can guarantee we'll be talking about a lot if they do. Second positive that we have here for the defense is blitzing more often in the second half. Once they had the lead, they were sending a lot of pressure, and it was actually leading to some disruptions for that Dolphins offense. I think this did play a role in how well the young defensive backs played, especially in the second half, because the Giants were able to get pressure, generate pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick, and the Dolphins offensive line just could not hold up. I think I counted three or four times where Fitzpatrick just kind of threw the ball away while in the grasp of a defender or threw it away just a split second before being sacked. And yet that makes it a lot easier to play in the secondary when your pass rush is getting pressure, uh, forcing the offense off schedule, forcing mistakes from the quarterback forcing early throws that makes their lives so much easier and I believe that that really did show up in the second half and played a big role in the Dolphins offense more or less collapsing before that uh, garbage time touchdown to get them up to 20 points yeah and James Betcher is always consistent in leaning on blitzing to create pressure and and cause problems for opposing offenses but it, it worked to its fullest extent and its its greatest capacity in this game, which is why we put it in a positive, it was one of the determining factors on defense why they were able to play so well to close this game out and keep them from scoring very many more points and pretty much shutting them down from getting back into it and fighting their way back into it. Now on to the negatives, and we only have one negative that we're going to discuss here for the Giants' defense because overall they did have a pretty good day. They were able to force a turnover. They were able to get sacks. They were able to play well against the run. They weren't able, they were not allowing any huge passing plays. So, overall, a good performance. But the one negative that we have is allowing receivers to take advantage of gaps in the zone. The, the most notable play that comes to mind is Devontae Parker on his first touchdown. And the reason why I'm bringing up this specific play is that if you go back and watch it, Devontae Parker goes pretty much unscathed through very minimal gaps in the zone that they were running and walks into the end zone for a touchdown. 
I believe Corey Ballantyne was the was the guy that was closest to him as soon as he got off his release. If you're Corey Ballantyne, you can't allow him to have a free release. You got to at least knock him off his path in a legal extent. If if you didn't know this, folks, corners are allowed to do that, and same with linebackers, they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to disrupt the path of receivers as long as they don't completely knock them off their path. So at least do something to keep him from running a completely clean route. They needed to have done that in that situation. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed with the Giants secondary this game. They, even when they were in kind of tight man coverage, they weren't terribly physical in the first five yards when you're allowed to be physical. I don't know if perhaps they were being coached that way to avoid pulling pass interference calls because you know these are young guys they're probably still at least a little bit used to the college rules where you can pretty much have a hand on a receiver all the way down the field as long as you're not grabbing them pulling them tackling them before the ball gets there which I'll be honest I kind of like watching that in in college tape I I do like the physicality they allow in the secondary I think that's one way the Giants were kind of trying to protect their young defensive backs a little bit the also the other thing I noticed was that when they were out of position I felt like they kind of panicked a little bit you know guys played a little bit out of control when they were just a little bit out of phase a little bit out of position for where they were supposed to be with respect to the receivers especially early in the game I noticed a few of the Dolphins receivers would press their route stems into the into the cornerback the cornerback would continue to bail as though they're defending a deep pass and then the receiver would have you know, yards of space around them and then the corner would more or less scramble to try to get back and make the tackle and that would lead to some of the bad tackles and yards after the catch we saw when the Giants defense started to play more aggressively in the second half that more or less went away but that was something that caught my eye in the first half. Yeah, it caught my eye too. And I, I think just in general, if you're going to commit to running zone, you need to run it properly. You can't allow guys to weave in and out. If they identify that it is zone and they call the right passing concepts, it's not that hard to do to find those cracks in the zone. But at the very least, if somebody runs past you, you need to disrupt their timing to some extent without getting called for holding or pass interference. And they weren't able to do that on a couple plays. Something that just needs to be corrected in film and also in practice. Discuss it with those young guys and make sure it is fixed. That's going to be it from us, folks. Thank you for tuning in as always. Be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us and also follow us on social media. You can follow us at Big Blue View. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe DeLeon, D-E-L-E-O-N-E. And you can follow Chris at Raptor M-K-I-I. Be sure to reach out to us on social media and send us any questions or thoughts you might have which we can either respond to on Twitter or we can gladly answer them on the podcast overall though thank you for tuning in